One of my sayings that I say all the time is I try to be prepared, not lucky, because I'm riding some of the most dangerous horses on the planet on a regular basis because I'm the guy that gets called or get the horses sent to to, to fix. Welcome into Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. On today's show, I brought on Ryan Rose, who is an excellent horseman, and we talk about how to get horses rideable. How is it that you can do that? He also is an expert in problem horses and fixing them. Let's give it a listen. Ryan, I don't want to butcher any introduction, so I'll let you introduce yourself and tell the audience what it is that you do, and we'll go from there. All right. Well, I'm Ryan Rose. I am a horse trainer by trade. I specialize in problem horses. I'm known internationally for kind of as a horse behavior expert, I guess, of working with some of the most dangerous horses or difficult situations, kind of as a last resort. But I spend most of my time teaching clinics and, and helping people kind of get safer with their horses and helping them build a, a partnership with them. And then lately, I've been on YouTube making videos and trying to share my philosophy and, and program on, on there. That's actually how I ran into you was on YouTube, looking at your horse videos and something I'm sure that you get asked a lot. Are you like the real life horse whisperer pretty much? Yeah, that would be fair. doesn't look anything like the movie, you know, actually, you know, you don't just sit there in front of the horse for an hour and then all of a sudden it's trained or anything like that. So there's a lot more tactical things, but my goal is to have very good communication with a horse because horses want to do what we want them to do, but they're prey animals by nature and human beings are predators by nature. So there's this challenge that's always in the way where basically whatever a human wants their horse to do, the horse sees that as a trap and their instincts are going to kick in and try to evade that. So then the human tries to force the horse to do whatever they want. But if you can set it up in the right way, you can actually get the horse to want to do whatever it is you wanted them to do. And that's where I would call that a partnership. But horses are interesting because they're, they want to be super obedient. You know, they don't really want to get in trouble or be afraid. And so you can make a horse do a lot of things. And then I would call that having a slave, kind of a master-slave relationship. And so one of my big messages on my YouTube channel is, is trying to give a lot of examples of how to take a horse that's completely trying to do the opposite of whatever the person wants it to do and using better communication and a better setup and strategy cause the horse to want to do the thing that we want them to do. So since you started to now the maturity level or your understanding of horses, is it one of those things where you reach a point where there's like, you kind of feel like you know everything or is it one of those things where you're just learning every day? that you deal with them? It's every day, which is hard, kind of hard to imagine because I've done this for, you know, tens of thousands of hours, <laughs> but literally every horse is so different. And th there's principles that you follow that are the same, but it's always challenging because your human nature kicks in and you always want to just kind of get direct line to kind of make the horse do what you want. And then, you know, for me, if I'm training a horse for a client, getting paid to do it, there's this added pressure on top of it to make progress and be successful. But if the horse is uncomfortable with what you're asking, you got to let the horse set the timeline. And so it's every day, it's kind of gathering information and, and trying to be better the next day. 
how do you make them feel comfortable? Like what you're saying? Um, so some horses are what we would call like more right brained and you could make them more comfortable by either making the pattern that you're asking them to do simpler, like an easier puzzle or less pressure or like literally in the moment, there's some body moves that you can do with a horse. Like, so horses start to hold tension with their rib cage. So one of the first things I try to do is to have them move around me in a circle, but not just, not like just exercising them, but getting their body to be in a, a curve like a C shape towards me. And then uh, when they do that, they'll start to blow out and they'll make this noise. They'll go. And that means that they're actually taking deep breaths and it's kind of equivalent to a human. Um, if somebody is kind of stressed and then they finally relax and they just go and they just take a deep breath, that's kind of what the horse is doing. The second thing we'll do to help a horse be more comfortable is yield their hindquarters. So naturally if a horse is scared of something, they're going to try to run away. They want to have their hindquarters ready to, dig into the ground and push off and flight from fear. Um, so if the horse will turn loose to us yielding their hindquarters and doing what we call a disengagement, um, that helps them to relax and settle as well. Versus the old school way would be like just tying them up to a post or something and then just putting them in a, a mechanical position where they cannot get away. Or a lot of more of a standard thing that you'd see people do right now would be like lunge them where they'll run them around in a circle just until they're tired. But that might take 20, 30, 40 minutes or longer versus you could yield the hindquarters and maybe in a matter of seconds, the horse is more comfortable and settled. So the way I learned how to do it was the make them run in a circle and we just made it run in a circle until it got tired. Then we'd go up to it and try to like put a blanket on it. And then if it mm -hmm. wouldn't let us, we'd make it run. But you're saying if you do it this method, it's a lot more quicker um, than the method I learned. Is that right? Yeah, there's just a lot more different kind of tools and things that you can use. So, I mean, not, not that I'm opposed to a horse getting a little tired in a session. It's just that I, I try to use more psychology to it. So I, I try to make it as low stress for the horse as possible. How did you learn all the psychology that you're talking about and all these different methods? Yeah. So I, I started with just basically getting out there and just riding horses and reading books and watching videos on, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I would just watch and learn every, everything I could get my hands on. And that got me pretty far. I was, I was a professional horse trainer and doing well, and I was winning some competitions and I was doing okay with that, but I, I didn't know much about the business side of it. And so even though I was busy training horses, I, I wanted to learn more about the business and teaching side of it. And so I went and, and uh, studied with a guy named Pat Pirelli, who has probably one of the largest horsemanship programs in the world called Pirelli Natural Horsemanship. And so I was with him for four years and a lot of people would think then that I was getting a lot of lessons from him every day, which I was not, <laughs> it was mostly a lot of work, but I was in a situation and environment where I had a lot of horses that I could practice on. And there was a lot of information um, about his program that I could learn from and do. Uh, so that gave me kind of time to experiment. Uh, whereas when you're training horses for the public, you know, there's like their goals that you're having to balance out with what you want to try and, and do with the horse. So that four years was really beneficial to me to, to really get a handle on honing my skills. So somebody who's new listening, what's the step-by-step -step process of breaking a horse? Like your client drops off the horse, what happens from there? And then until they pick it up, just like um, a generic, generic overview. Yes. If we're kind of saying the horse is not rideable when it gets dropped off and then 
you know, I'm trying to send it home as being writable. My first goal, like I said, there's these principles that I follow. And the, the first one is I try to work with the horse where they're at. And so it's like, has the horse been handled much? You know, is it like wild? Is it feral? Is it, or is it really tame and gentle and grew up in somebody's backyard being handled every day? So there's kind of figuring out where, where the horse is at with its understanding of pressure. And so basically I have to get the horse to accept a human and just be willing to come up to a human and be caught and be able to walk all the way around the horse and touch it everywhere on its body and have it be okay with that. And then the horse needs to accept pressure. And there's basically three types of pressure that a horse has to get comfortable with. And the first one, and probably the most important out of the three is steady pressure. And I say the most important because instinctually for a horse, if something's got a hold of them, like steady feel, like a lion's got a hold of them or a rope or something, their instincts are to just push into that with everything they got and get away from it. And so that's their baseline. And at the same time, what humans are going to use to control the horse almost at any time that's really important, <laughs> like a farrier's working out on the vet or you're riding them, we're going to ask them to give to steady pressure as a way of controlling them. So teaching them to yield to steady pressure all over their body is really important. Um, and so I do that a lot with a lariat rope. Um, I call it rope therapy. <laughs> and so I just put a rope all over their body and get them to follow a feel. The second type of pressure is what I call driving pressure. So this is where I'm going to look at the horse with some intention, asking them to move. You know, it's kind of like if uh, if you forgot to do one of your chore lists on the honeydew list and uh, your wife comes home and looks at you and gives you that look, <laughs> that's kind of the, the look that you give the horse using your intention. And then you're ready to back that up with waving, you know, like a flag at them or a stick or something, ideally without having to touch them with it, but just, we call it driving pressure. So there's something kind of signaling towards them. And then uh, the third type of pressure is what I would call rhythmic motion, where you get, you're getting a horse comfortable with things moving all around them because horses can be pretty spooky at things. And so you're trying to prepare them for something happening or some, say you're sitting on top of them at that point and the dog runs by or somebody else moves quickly or a rope drags on the ground and you don't want that to set them off. So you do some exposure to rhythmic motion. And um, once that's going well and they're given to pressure everywhere, then um, you're looking to get the horse to accept the saddle. And so that's a kind of a similar thing to steady pressure because they're going to feel those cinches getting tight around their belly and that can make them feel claustrophobic where they want to buck. And so I, I put a lot of stock in setting that up well. Uh, so the horse is really prepared for that and that goes smoothly because if you don't do it right, you can teach a horse to buck every time they get saddled. Some horses accepted no problem at all. Other ones are really bronchy and, and they're, they're really going to, going to test it. Um, so they got to accept the saddle. And then once all that's put together, so you have accept the human, you have accept pressure, you have accept the saddle. Now it's time to accept the rider. And so now you're going to try to step on top of them. And the first few rides is more the rider is kind of just a passenger up there. And usually I'll have somebody else move the horse around on the ground um, so that the rider doesn't have to kick or pull or, or make too much commotion up there. And the horse is literally just getting used to wearing a rider on top of them. And then once the horse has kind of accepted that part, then the rider can start to cue the horse with their legs and with reins and start to get, get some control where they can turn the horse. So this is all happening usually in like a round corral, like a 50 foot diameter round corral. And so the idea is that the rider that's starting a colt is a good enough rider that if the horse needs to run around or move its feet, they can just go with it and not get in its way, not get tight and, and 
clam up and, and cause the horse to buck or be scared. So <laughs> there's some assumptions built in there that the rider can handle that and be ready for that. And if they can't do that, they, they may probably shouldn't be starting Colts because it is a pretty dangerous thing. You know, I've started about 1300 horses and you still don't know, you know, it's an educated guess that the horse is ready and that they're safe to get on. So you still gets real quick, you've broke or sorry, started 1300 horses. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, is that, that's gotta be like a modern record. That is sweet. So you did 1300. When was your first one that you started? Um, that would have been when I was like 15 or 16. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. So 1300. And so you go through those steps that you were saying. Yeah. So potentially like say kind of an average horse at this point in time, you've got a few rides on the horse and the rider's starting to steer them around. We're probably at the end of week two, maybe the beginning of week three, usually like a, a standard training is like four weeks. Um, and so a cult start is happens kind of in those first three weeks. If it's going well, that's where you're at. And then from there, you're going to try to take the horse outside the round corral and, and ride in an arena or maybe ride in, in a pasture. And uh, in the round corral, the horse doesn't want to move its feet out too much because it's in such a small space. So then you want to get the horse out of that space and start moving them out a little more, you know, starting to canter them and get them to move their feet in a big space. And that basically be the next 10 rides or so, trying to ride them out and just build in a right turn, a left turn, stop and go. And that's kind of about it. That'd be basically just a start. Are there certain breeds that are better at starting than others? Um, do some have better temperament Are some easier to handle, harder to handle? Um, yes and no. I don't know that I've ever had a, a certain breed of horse that came to me to be started that I was like, oh, this is going to be harder because it's this breed or not. It's more like what's their level of handling and their experience and was it good or bad? You know, because somebody could try to mess around and, and teach the horse some things before they come to a professional and it ends up making it worse. <laughs> like they taught the horse some things they didn't need to know. To be perfectly honest, I always tell people this horse training is 50% trying to teach horses what you want them to know. 50% and the other 50%, half of it is trying to not teach them things you don't want them to know <laughs> because it's really easy to, to put in some bad behaviors uh, into a horse that you either got to fix later on or that maybe are kind of, kind of stuck in there now. What's an example of a bad behavior? Um, well, like let's say somebody, you know, the horse wasn't really prepared for a saddle and somebody put a saddle on them and they bucked and they ran around and bucked and then they finally quit bucking. So they pulled the saddle off and then they did it again the next day and the next day and every day the horse bucked. Well, that's a habit now. Now when you saddle the horse, it's going to expect a buck when it's bucking, it's scared at that point in time. And that's going to be a deeper seated, um, Anytime the horse is afraid when they're learning something, it's going to have a stronger emotional attachment to it. Just, I guess, just like a human, if, if they have a really bad experience, like you get bit by a dog or you get, you know, kicked by a horse or something like you're going to have more fear around that thing because you had some trauma there. And so a horse can have that same problem. And then that can be more difficult to fix than it would have been had it been set up correctly the first time. Another one that's pretty common of a problem is people will tie the horse up to something when the horse isn't ready to be tied. And that's assuming the horse knows how to give to steady pressure. Well, because like I said, how scared horses can be of steady pressure. If they're tied to a, a post or a rail or the barn or whatever, and they pull back on the halter and they panic, a lot of times whatever somebody's tying it to is not solid enough that they, it's going to break. 
And then the horse falls over backwards and now they're terrified and, and now they have a pullback issue. Those can be hard ones to fix. How do you address that fear or resistance that they develop? So whenever a horse learns or understands something, there's a, a neurological connection made in their brain, a synapsis. And that can be strengthened through either repetition or through emotional attachment, like how scared were they when it happened. So depending on how many times it happened and how scared the horse was when it happened, it, it could potentially be unfixable. Um, a lot of times it can be managed pretty well where it will seem like the horse knows how to tie well, <laughs> but it's like, I call them tolerance levels is basically like this horse has maybe a, a level five tolerance out of 10, you know, but if, if the horse learned it correctly the first time they could have a 10 out of 10 tolerance level, meaning you tie that horse up by a thread and you'll come back two days later, it'll still be there. But if, if you do it wrong, pack a lunch, <laughs> trying to, to tie him up to something, it better be like the stoutest rope and tree you've ever seen. Cause when they're, I mean, they're strong animals when they're panicked and they pull everything they got into it. Uh, there, there's something going to give. And that's the other thing is that I'm not going to just tie them up to something heavy duty, you know, and hope that they can't break it because they're going to end up hurting themselves and straining their neck. And so I'm going to do a lot of preparation on the ground with steady pressure, getting them to follow a feel and ask them, I, I call it putting them in binds where maybe I'll put the lead rope in between their front legs and pull on it. So it's kind of, they got to give their front leg and to their head at the same time. And so that's going to be harder. And a lot of horses will panic in that moment. But because I'm, I'm attached to the other end, I can just drift with them when they're panicking. And so I, I maintain, say there's 20 pounds of pressure on the rope. I can just maintain 20 pounds wherever they go. And when they stop and give to it, then I can release it. Where if you tie post and they pull back, it's going to just be max pressure, you know, right away. So there's a lot of times there's workarounds making it more manageable. But if it's like you said, if they were super scared or if it was for a super long time, it's going to be a little harder to overcome. Yeah, for sure. A lot of times when people are going to send me a horse, I ask them to not do too much preparation. Bring them in as they are type thing. Yep, exactly. What's like a crazy story you have breaking horses? Have you ever had like a nightmare horse or a time when you got hurt, anything like that? There's a video on YouTube on my YouTube channel called I Made a Big Mistake. This is one of the more recent situations i've got myself into and uh this lady bought a horse sight unseen from a, a horse trader and uh i knew the horse um she tried to ride it in a clinic with me earlier in the year and i wouldn't let her get on it because the horse wanted to buck with the saddle really bad and i think she maybe sat on it and walked around a little bit at the end of the clinic like end of five days and where everybody else was riding all five days and so you know fast forward four or five months i'm doing what i call a horse development uh, camp down in Texas where people can bring me the horse and I'll ride it for five days. And then uh, they'll come and do a two day clinic with the horse. So it's really helpful for people to kind of get over the hump with, with a particular training issue or something anyways. Uh, so she brings this horse there and um, I ride it the first day or I played with it the first or second day. And then there was a lot of like preparation steps that I was doing on the ground that I thought were really critical to, to lead it to a safe ride. So in this YouTube video, I decided, oh, this would be a good video to show everybody. Like, here's a bunch of really good preparation steps you can do to have a horse fully ready to ride. And so the kind of catch with that is when I'm talking to the camera and the YouTube audience, I'm 
thinking more about them than I am working and being really present in the moment with that horse. And this horse is a very athletic, good looking quarter horse. And so I kind of get them all prepared, but again, I'm, I'm kind of going through all these steps for the camera and not reading the horses as, as good as I could or should have. And so uh, long story short, I, I step on him and he just like blows up and I got to bend him around before my foot even gets in the stirrup and he's trying to buck me off. And so I'm pulling him up. He's trying to break in two and um, I get him, I get him shut down, but he is like, I feel like I'm sitting on a box of dynamite. You know, you can just tell he's ready to go any direction. So I just sit there and I'm trying to just pet on him and just get him to kind of settle down. Cause now if I step off, I just made his problem worse. Right. So I'm, so you're, you know, it's kind of like having bacon and eggs for breakfast. You know, I was committed at this point, you know, the, the, the chickens involved and the pigs committed. So I'm, I'm sitting on this horse and I'm committed. It goes maybe five minutes or so. And I try to walk off and like bend him the other way and try to lead him off to the right. Well, this thing takes off at a run to the left sideways and the fence is coming up on me really quick, like a, a steel pipe fence. And I'm like, Oh, go here. Here goes my leg. You know, he's going to snap my leg, run into this fence. Luckily, one inch before the fence, he stops and he just, you know, comes to a complete standstill again. He's still tense as all get out, but he finally stands still. And so I end up moving him around. I, I probably sat on him another 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And he, he let down a little bit, but not fully. And then the next day I, I brought him out and I had a much better plan. I slowed things down and then I ended up having a good ride on him the next day. So that's all on the YouTube video that people could go watch. But that one was a little hairy because I could have, could have bit the dust pretty good on that one. Harry for you is like probably every day for somebody like me who hasn't been on a horse for like 15 years. You know what I mean? One of my sayings that I say all the time is I try to be prepared, not lucky because I'm riding some of the most dangerous horses on the planet on a regular basis because I'm the guy that gets called or get the horses sent to, to, to fix. And so I really got to have be on my A game at all times, <laughs> you know, and really, practice what I preach with the psychology thing and, and, and really try to make a difference. But at the end of the day, there isn't really anything safe about riding horses. It's, it's a pretty dangerous thing to do. You can get them gentle and quiet, but when you're riding as many different ones as I am and that sort of thing, it's, it can be dangerous for sure. Well, Ryan, in closing, where can people find out more about you? You were mentioning your YouTube channel. What's the name of the YouTube channel? And if I have any listeners that are wanting to get some help breaking a horse, how they find you on the web. Yeah. Um, I'd love it if they'd go check out my YouTube channel. It's Ryan Rose Horsemanship. I'm on all, all the social media platforms, just kind of Ryan Rose, but yeah, it'd be great if you guys want to go give me a follow or a sub over there. Cool. Ryan, I, I appreciate you coming on. This is a fun conversation. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Men, a takeaway that you can get from this recording is you can be a rock star if you just own something. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be horsemanship. It could be plumbing. It could be electricity, business, whatever. Whatever it is, try to be the expert at it. That was my takeaway from this recording. I want to thank everybody for listening. Let's end this one with another manly mystery sound. And thank you again for listening. <laughs>